It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. Oh, what's going on, Bleeding Green Nation? It's uh, John Barchard hanging out here as I was not there for the 97.5 The Fanatic Show. I'm snowed in in the burbs of Philadelphia still 30 inches. That is the last time I listened to anyone about, hey, come and enjoy the burbs when you have a nice, comfortable spot. When you're leaving a nice, comfortable spot in Philadelphia. But regardless, it was still a great, intense, jam-packed show. James Zeltzer hosted. Brandon Lee Gout was there as well. I called in picks with Crossing Broad. Uh, you know, a, a lot of different guests this morning in a four-hour jam-packed bonanza. We're going to play the best of for you right now. This was the best of uh, BGN Radio uh, as aired on 97.5 The Fanatic on Sunday morning, January 24th with Field Yates. We're going to start out with Field Yates and talk to a lot of different people throughout the day. We hope you enjoy it. All right, so let's get it started. Here is uh, ESPN insider Field Yates hanging out with James Seltzer and BLG on 97.5 The Fanatic. I'd heard through a very good source that he wanted the job. As soon as he got done doing his study of the five teams that were interested in him, he noticed that for what he wants to do, running his 43 scheme, the Eagles had the best personnel, and I think Jim made that very clear to the media that he spoke to yesterday. So this this is a huge move. It's PGN Radio on 97.5, The Fanatic, our own Adam Kaplan there, talking about the Jim Schwartz hire. And let's get to another ESPN NFL insider joining us right now on the Comcast Business Hotline. Uh, NFL reporter for ESPN. He is the co-host of the Fantasy Focus podcast. You can catch him on pretty much any ESPN platform because he is everywhere all the time. It's Mr. Field Yates. Field, how are you, brother? James, what's going on, man? Good to talk to you on Championship Sunday, one of the uh, really enjoyable Sundays of the year. The final weekend of football that we have multiple games. Let's make sure that we savor it. Yes, we were Brandon Lee. You're with uh, myself and Brandon Lee Gout, and we were just talking about that, and, and we're going to get into that in a minute, because uh, I don't think you could have asked for a better Final Four, but uh, let's start here in Philly. We spoke to you uh, after Chip was fired, prior to the Doug Peterson hiring. Uh, you, you had some nice things to say about Peterson in, in the sense of, you know, outside of the fact that most people d- didn't really know too much about him. Now that Peterson has come in, what is your opinion of the hire and, and obviously the coaching staff he's put around him at, at moving forward? 
Well, I think the first thing that's important to remember is that coaching hires are best judged retroactively after the fact, right? Uh, and let's look at how people are perceiving the Chip Kelly hire now. Even though I don't think that Chip Kelly is, I, like, I don't, I don't look at his at his tenure as a failure. I think a lot of people do view the Chip Kelly uh, tenure as a failure. But when he was hired, it was what a grand slam, I mean, like a walk off. Oh grand yeah. Slam. Oh yeah. And I mentioned that because with Doug Peterson, whether or not people are huge fans of the hire or think that the Eagles could have done better. I think the truth is we don't know the answer until we actually see Doug coach. All that being said, I think what was clear, and this has been stated many times, and I think it's worth reiterating, is that in this coaching search, it appeared early on that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, anyone else involved in this search, were looking for a change, an extreme change. And I don't mean a change in just making a head coaching change, but a culture change, a personality shift. And we saw that very clearly. Doug Peterson and Chip Kelly, both very good football minds. I think their demeanor and perhaps their methodology, uh, their way about sort of conducting a program is where things are different. Great segue there uh, going into, and we're talking to Field Yates. You can follow him on Twitter, at Field Yates. Uh, Field, speaking about Lurie and Roseman and the front office and and the process that kind of went into this, uh, I think a lot of people in Philly are willing to give Peterson a chance. We don't know enough about him, but the real criticism has been the process behind it. How did you see that process, like you said, kind of going back to, to what felt comfortable and also how this front office shapes up moving forward uh, with either Howie Roseman or a, a potential new player personnel guy uh, in charge? Yeah, very curious on the front office. I'll sort of answer that question backwards. I don't know exactly where the Philadelphia Eagles turn next. If they're going to hire another experienced personnel man or if basically Howie Roseman is back to a role that it feels like he filled a few years ago or maybe even pre-chip. Um, that'll be interesting to see because at this point of the offseason, I'm not saying that no one is available, but certainly it feels like most teams have most moved past the point of front office and coaching movement and are focused in on or for the for the thirty or for the twenty eight teams that are no longer playing. They're looking ahead to twenty sixteen. So I'll see on that. As far as the process goes, again, I don't think there's a blueprint for the process. Uh, you think about coaches that have been hired right away. I mean, wasn't Chip an early hire the year that Philadelphia hired him? And I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, bash on Chip here. I'm just, he just happens to fill a couple of the examples of how a coach was hired early and also very well regarded in terms of his hiring. Um, now, Doug, you know, a person who I think people felt like the Eagles locked on to early and then they had to wait, but they filled some other interviews. They did some other interviews, obviously, including Tom Coughlin. I don't know that I have a huge issue with the process. I felt like the team cast a fairly broad net. But if you have a guy that you're looking forward to early on, you know, then if he comes in and you get the chance to interview him and you like what you saw, why wait any longer? Field, you know, we don't necessarily know who is going to be making the personnel decisions for the Eagles, but we do know that one of the big ones is obviously going to be you know, what the team does with Sam Bradford. There's been a lot of talk lately about potentially you know, franchising Bradford and maybe trying to trade him. What kind of market do you think there would be if the Eagles did something like that? How many teams are potentially interested in Bradford, not only as the tag and trade thing, but also if he just hits free agency as an unrestricted free agent? You know, I think if he just hits free agency, there might be a little bit more interest, only because the tag, you're married to a number for one year. I understand you can restructure, but again, you know, you're, you're trading him, and Sam has the natural leverage of one year, whatever it will be, $17, 18000000 million uh, for the quarterback franchise tag. 
That being said, I think there always are going to be teams interested in a quarterback. I know Sam was not great for the entire season, but averaged 327 passing yards and threw six touchdowns in the final four games of the year and you know, sort of uh, paid homage to the go-out in a high note with his final game performance against the Giants, 30 for 38, I believe it was, with you know, huge passing numbers. And you know, Sam is one of those guys that, for as long as he's been in the league, has been difficult to evaluate because of this. You know the raw talent is there. You know a lot of the requisite traits are there. Durability has been an issue. And then I think even though things rounded into form during the final quarter of this season, some people felt like, all right, was he playing in the right schematic fit this season? So I think he'll be a guy that uh, generates some interest on the open market. Wouldn't be surprised if back in Philadelphia. And then I, I know everybody is already hypothesizing, you know, how can Chip Kelly resurrect the career of Colin Kaepernick? Mm-hmm. And Colin Kaepernick is banged up right now. He's dealing with multiple surgery recoveries. But Chip certainly was very praiseworthy about Sam Bradford throughout. I mean, not, not and it wasn't just lip service. I mean, you guys are no better than I, but it certainly felt like that was more than just an endorsement. Like, we, we got past the point where he needed to endorse Sam at some point early on in the season, and he just he just came out there and flat out said what he thought about Sam, and it felt to me like Chip truly believes in Sam as a quarterback. So I know there's a few variables in there that they would have to work out in San Francisco, especially because I believe the Colin Kaepernick surgery recovery, the team could be on the hook for a bunch of you know there's there's so many contract uh, sort of fine point you know there's so many details there that we would have to actually have uh, the contract in front of us and probably some some medical documents to know exactly where Colin Kaepernick is in his recovery. But, you know, something, I wouldn't be shocked if Chip Kelly, if the open market, if, if, if uh, Sam at the open market, I'd be surprised if, if Chip was in public interested. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I think that's definitely an option. I, uh, one other thing, getting back to the quarterback position, Bradford, rookie, Chase Daniel, free agent, whoever it is, you know, I think the Eagles, one thing they've done with this coaching staff is, you know, they've brought in guys who focus on quarterbacks. They brought in Doug Peterson, a former quarterback. They brought in Frank Reich, uh, quarterback's coach with a couple teams, and also John DiFilippo, you know, former Browns offensive coordinator. What do you know about these guys' field? What do you think these guys can do with the Philadelphia quarterback, whoever that might be? Yeah, I think that one of the themes of this staff and this is going to sound a little bit silly, only because you'd say this is sort of implicit to being a um, to, to being a coach. You know, a lot of teachers, uh, you know, a lot of players, a lot of former players. Um, you know, obviously Frank Reich being a backup as well. I mean, we, we'll never forget Frank Reich's amazing comeback uh, you know, during the final game. What was it? Maybe it was during the during the preseason uh, in the early nineties. I'll never forget that game where he came back from thirty, whatever it was, twenty eight points at halftime, and yeah, then thirty four to John, three, I think, at the half. Right? Crazy. Yeah, an incredible deficit that they overcame uh, with Frank Reich, and then John DiFilippo, who got a lot of credit for what he was able to do with Johnny Manziel this year. I know Johnny Manziel did not meet expectations, and there's so many other things that go into his evaluation, but I think people looked at what Flip did and said, that was pretty good now. That was pretty good, all things considered. I mean, Eugene Chung, you know, who's now going to work with the offensive line, for example, you know, former player in his own right. Like, these are all guys who are teachers, and uh, coaches obviously have to be teachers, but they also have to be the X's and O's, sort of schematic guys. And I think I see a lot of teaching on this Eagle staff. I think one of the tricks with the quarterback position, whoever it is, and one of the reasons maybe Sam is more enticing than any other option, is that you know it's one thing when you are Tennessee last year or you are maybe Cleveland this year or a team that clearly needs 
a quarterback to kickstart a reboot of the franchise. I don't look at the Eagles roster outside of the quarterback spot and say to myself, nope, bunch of bumps. I see good players. You know, I see Connor Barwin and Fletcher Cox, and I see, you know, for even as bad as it was, I see a running back who's making a ton of money in DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews and Darren Scrolls and Jason Kelsey and Jason Peters. You know, there are a bunch of guys on this roster. If you say to yourself, those are winning players. Those are players that are, on, those are starters on playoff teams. So for Philadelphia, you know, it, it, even though there aren't a bunch of options, you know, maybe the option of going young doesn't make a ton of sense because then all of a sudden you have one part of your roster, the most important part of your roster, that's at you know on, on the scale of developments early, and then you've got other guys who are in the quote unquote prime of their career. Yeah, no, it's it's really an interesting kind of uh, makeup of the roster and and the potential that they have, especially if they can get that quarterback position kind of settled or at least you know positive moving into the future. But uh, Field, before we let you go, and again, everyone, uh, follow them on Twitter at Field Yates. You can see them all over ESPN, NFL reporter for ESPN. Uh, before we let you go, Field Championship Sunday. We mentioned it when you started. Uh, two amazing you know games that the top four teams in the league. Uh, how do you see these games playing out today? Yeah, it's, I, I think one of, this is a unique weekend in that, and I, I don't think this is the case every single year. It feels like ev- every team that's playing today, you kind of expect it to be there. You know what I mean? Uh, you've got four teams, and maybe if you had to rank them going into the postseason, you'd say we're the four best. Uh, yeah. I think the Panthers get it done at home, and I think that the Patriots get the job done in Denver. Uh, you know, for the Panthers, uh, they are the team, they're 15 and 1, 16 and 1 if you count last week. And it feels like every every time, uh, we lead up to a Panthers game. We're finding ways to poke holes in the roster or something. And trust me, I've done it myself this week. I'm nervous about the cornerback depth chart behind Josh Norman, especially with the Arizona wide receivers. But then they go out there and they're up 14 nothing within the first, whatever it was, two and a half minutes yeah. of the game last week against Seattle. And then for the Patriots guys, uh, if they win today, I think it will be, uh, obviously, listen, this is a team that at its dominance has been the best team in the AFC this year, but you know, they did not perform well down the stretch. They were two and four in their final six games of the regular season, and they had two shots to clinch the number one overall seed, meaning this game would be in New England. And they didn't they didn't they did not convert either one of them guys. And I think that and part of that was by design. We all watched those final two games of the Patriots season, especially yeah. the Miami game. The Miami, yeah. said, it just doesn't feel like this you know, this is not I mean they're almost taking the bigger picture view. If they win today, it will sort of be a reward, or at least will sort of validate, um, you know, what the Patriots did in those final few weeks of the season. And I think Bill Belichick knew what he was doing, as he always does. And I think the Patriots get the job done. Uh, Tom Brady played terrific football last week, and we know just how important it is to have Julian Edelman back on the field for them, along with Gronk. I think the Patriots and Panthers meet in Super Bowl Fifty. Yeah, I'm I field. I'm with you 100. Those are my picks as well, and we'll get into that later. But uh, thank you. We'll let you go. We really, really appreciate the few minutes, Field. Everyone, again, follow him on Twitter at Field Yates. Field, you're on TV today. Everyone can find him on ESPN. We we really appreciate it, Field. Thank you so much. No problem, guys. Enjoy the weekend and uh, get your shovels ready. You guys probably get some nice biceps from shoveling so much the past couple of days. Huh? Oh yeah, you have no idea. Our, our producer <laughs> spent the entire weekend at the studio, so oh, it's, it's been crazy. Yeah, it's been crazy. It out, I like it. So right, thanks, guys, Field. We appreciate it. All right, there he was, Field Yates on the Comcast Business Hotline. Uh, late for a break. We're going to get to it. Uh, we'll be right back. We're going to talk Eagles. Keep this conversation going. If you want to chime in on the championship games as well, we will do that as well. It's Brandon Lee Gout and James Seltzer, BGN Radio on the Fanatic. In this coaching search, 
it appeared early on that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, anyone else involved in this search, were looking for a change, an extreme change. And I don't mean a change in just making a head coaching change, but a culture change, a personality shift. And we saw that. It's BGN Radio on 97.5 The Fanatic. That was Field Yates just joining us. And uh, how about that? Who would have thought culture would have come back the other way around? Huh? <laughs> what well, the buzzword was culture. It was like Chip Kelly, culture. And now it's like we got to change the culture because Chip's culture was a disaster. Who saw that coming, Brandon? No one. No <laughs> one did. I mean, what? like you said, there was all this emphasis on culture. Culture beats scheme. Yeah. And in the end, I guess, you know. We needed a new culture and didn't even know it. Chip Kelly got beat by culture. So uh, Field had some really interesting stuff to say there, uh, talking about the team, talking about the roster. He's actually pretty optimistic about the roster itself. You know, talking about outside of the quarterback position, he seemed to be pretty positive about this roster. Uh, I, I want to get it. We're going to get to the phones in just a second, and, and I want to kind of spin this in as, as it is championship game weekend. And, and we were talking about those games, and, and again, we will take any calls you want on, on the championship games, on, on these topics at 610-632-0975. With championship weekend here, and, and in light of what Field said about the roster, and I don't know if I agree with him or not, but uh, that is, you know, there is the belief that, that this team could turn this around somewhat quickly. What does this team need to do to get back to the championship game? It being championship weekend, let, let's throw that out both to you, Brandon, to the, to the audience out there at 610-632-0975. What does this team need to do to get back to the championship game? And theoretically, how far away are they? Carson Palmer. Ha! Cam yeah. Newton. Yeah, I agree. Tom Brady. What do all these teams have? I left out Denver, you know, because their defense is they awesome. They have the best defense in football. So, yeah. And it's it's really, really good. Oh, yeah. And that's the exception. And that's exactly my point. I don't think you want to build around the exception. I think you need to build around the trend here, which is these teams have really good quarterbacks, and it's a quarterback league, and it's really hard to get those guys, but you can't settle. You have to get that guy, and you have to keep looking until you get that guy. You don't just... You don't just Let's find a quarterback who's good enough, quote-unquote good enough, and say, all right, we'll just kind of go with this. No, you keep doing all your options, draft, free agency, whatever. And that's why I think it's so important this offseason, the decision they make on Sam Bradford, what happens there, to get that. They really need to get that decision right. Yeah, and when you look at the the four quarterbacks left playing, and obviously not the same Peyton Manning, but, no. but a wonderful career, mm-hmm. but three of the four, and obviously Tom Brady is the all-time exception to the rule, Three of the four were the first overall pick in the draft. Yeah. So I think that says something to, to building your team around a guy and, and how important it is to really get those top, top, top tier guys. And you can hit on other guys, whether it's Russell Wilson sure. in the third or obviously the, the Brady exception in the sixth. You can hit on those guys, but it is much, much, much more difficult to find those gems than to just get those stud guys at the top of the drafts. It is. And, you know, the Eagles are in a kind of rare position. I mean, they're they're not always picking as high as they are this year and they have that opportunity, and there might be a quarterback there. I don't know. I don't have a great feel for the draft yet, but you know, if there's a guy there, I mean, you, you have to pull the trigger. Yeah, it's, Wentz is going to be the interesting name, how much he rises up the draft board. It seems like he's already rising, and we haven't even gotten to the combine or pro days yet, so we'll see how that plays out. But uh, let's get the take of the fans here. The temperature, Jay in Pensauken's joining us. Jay, you're on the Fanatic. How's it going, guys? Good, Jay. How yep. are you? Guys, I wanted to get to a couple of things. Um 
the the old Peterson thing. My, my my thing is like, can someone please explain to me why we're so down on Peterson in this past resume in the NFL? Why why do we think we would have been more excited with a Gase or a McAdoo? Like, what have they done that is so great in the NFL in comparison? You know, we we say that he was coaching in he was coaching in high school ten years ago. He didn't call plays. He shouldn't call plays. Why not? How does he learn if he, if, he, if he doesn't do it? You know, all of these great coaches didn't start out great coaches. They grew into it. No one's a great to start. You know, who was Andy Reid but a QB coach? You know, who was Harbaugh but a special teams coach? Who was Tomlin but a DB coach? They were given a shot. You know, to, to, in my opinion, a head coach is a leader and a manager. And a manager surrounds himself with other talented individuals, and they manage them to make sure that they're doing their job at a high level. You know, that in itself is a great skill. And if Peterson has that, I'll take that. Neil Peterson will learn. He'll, he'll, he'll learn. He'll, he'll do the rest of the stuff, and he'll learn. You know, and, and lastly, we were all excited about Chip Kelly, all excited about Chip Kelly three years ago. Now most people hate the Chip Kelly hire. And, Jay, know? Jay, that's a fair point. I think you make good points here. Now, I, I, and, again, I don't want to make it seem like we're so much that we are down on Peterson. I think it's just more about him being an unknown and not having that confidence. Like I said, I think there are reasons for optimism, and I think you make some great points there. I just, I, you know, it's, it's kind of you're going into this, and you're like, well, I don't really know what to expect. I don't really know how confident to feel in this guy. It's all just wait and see. Yeah, and in addition, what do we Jay, expect with McAdoo and Gates? Well, no, Jay, Jay, that's a fair point. I think that it's more the model that you kind of, you know, it's the the experience level prior to being a head coach. But it's a fair point, especially. And, and thank you for the call, Jay. That was a really good call. And he's right. Look, everything we've heard about Peterson, all the positivity, all the good stuff that we've heard about him, has been related to the idea that he is a great teacher. You know, we heard it with him, Brett Favre. Barrett Brooks came on this show and said that they didn't even need a quarterback coach because Doug Peterson was his coach. What a great teacher this guy is, how he taught Donovan McNabb the West Coast offense when he was here. That's what we've heard about Peterson. He is a great teacher. The question is, is he a leader? Can he lead men? And to go on to Jay's point about, you know, McAdoo and these other guys, I don't think we're sitting here super fired up about those guys either. I mean, those guys might have been, quote unquote, better choices or they might have been the Eagles top choices or whatever. I don't think we're sitting here going like, oh, you know, this is going to be awesome. The Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. I mean, I just don't think, you know, I don't think Doug Peterson is the most exciting hire, and he wasn't. No, clearly underwhelming hire, no matter what, no matter what you were hoping for. And that for. might not matter. Exactly. Look, it doesn't. Look, Jim Kelly was a super exciting hire. And clearly that did not work out. So, sure, I don't think it matters whether he's an exciting hire at the time, but I also think it's fair to question the experience level and things like that. And we'll keep doing that. We want to find out how far are they away from the championship game? What do they have to do to get there? Uh, Charles in Northeast Philly will be up next. You're after that at 610-632-0975. Uh, and, again, I hope everyone is is making their way through the snow, uh, uh, insane snow amounts. But speaking of snow, Brandon, uh, coming up, the Fanatic Snow Day. It slopes. It's on Wednesday, February 10th at Jack Frost. Uh, the morning show broadcast from 6 to 10 a.m. Then Mike Miss. Sinelli will also broadcast from 2 to 6 uh, from Jack Frost E2000 Lounge. Uh, we'll be hosting a giant, huge party there. A uh, bunch of great games, prizes. Uh, you can pre-order your lift tickets right now for only $9.75. They're usually $48. So that's that's an insane value there. And ski rentals for 25 Usually 35 saving a lot of money there. Uh, go to 975thefanatic.com to purchase your $9.75 tickets. Uh, activities will also include a scavenger hunt on the slopes, diamond dig in the snow, snow globe grab prize, and Mike Missinelli will be playing the Philly Feud on site. All right, we'll be right back. It's BGN Radio on the Fanatic. James Seltzer, Brandon Lee Gowton. We're coming right back. Give it away, give it away, give it away. 
It's BGN Radio on 97.5 The Fanatic. A little red-hot chili peppers coming back. Andrew Salchunas behind the glass. I'm here with Brandon Lee Gowton. Talking birds, talking Peterson, talking... What does this team need to do to get back to the championship game? We've got two awesome, potentially, hopefully, right, awesome championship games today. Uh, really looking forward to these games, Brandon. We really haven't talked too much about the games themselves. Uh, you know, what's your, what's your, we're going to get into the Ring the Bell picks, 1145. Kyle Scott from CrossingBroad.com will join us to do our pick segment as he does each week. Uh, but just a, a general overview, how, how do you feel about these two games? You know, let, uh, let's go. AFC first, yep. the first game is on at, uh, I believe, 3, three, or five. three or 5. So uh, uh, how do you kind of see this game playing out without giving your, your pick away? Well, obviously, you know the big angle, Brady, Manning. Well, I hadn't heard. You yeah, you might not have <laughs> heard about those guys. What? But no, obviously, that's huge. And, you know, people want to get angry sometimes. They're like, oh, they're not on the field at the same time and things like that. But, I mean, come on. These are two of the biggest quarterback names, two of the biggest football names in the past couple, you know, so many years or so. And... It's going to be interesting to see how those guys play. Peyton has played so poorly leading up to this game. You know, like Zero touchdowns, four interceptions in his last 66 attempts or something, going back to his last three games played. I mean, but, you know, and, a lot, and again, Patriots are favored, so obviously it's a big factor. But you look how just, this Denver defense is so good, James. And look how the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Patriots. It was because they got to Tom Brady. They had some luck on special teams, sure. things like that. But they got to Tom Brady. They hit him early and often. They got him rattled. That Denver pass rush with guys like DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller and oh, guys yeah. like that. I mean, I think they're going to be they're going to be sacking Tom Brady, and that's going to you know I think that could rattle him. Yeah, well, it's going to come down to that that beat up O line at New England. Finally, has some guys back. Sebastian Vollmer looks like he's going to play uh, a little bit healthier there. Uh, I think that really will help. The, the Patriots, and I, I don't think you can understate how big Julian Edelman is to have him back on the field. Uh, the numbers with him on the field versus off the field are are, are staggering. Uh, you know, the Patriots averaged 33 points a game with Edelman, only 23 without him. Uh, they're converting 48.8% of their third downs with him on the field, only 32% without him. And, and most importantly, they're 10-0 and when he's on the field this year. So I think having Edelman back is going to be really, really big. And and Brady's ability to get rid of the ball quickly, I think that's all going to really play in. But, look, if Miller and, and Ware and those guys can get, get up in Brady's face, that's the way you beat the Patriots. So I, I think that's going to be a really fascinating game. And just to kind of see how this Brady-Manning thing plays out potentially one last time, even if it's not the same Peyton Manning. Uh, how do you feel about the NFC game? Again, we 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 talked about this earlier. Two quarterbacks who are arguably you know in right there for MVP. Sure. So that's you know you're looking at that and it's great, but also two pretty good defenses too. So I mean, it, it's going to be a great game. I think. I think the Cardinals have looked a little weaker than like I thought they were going to, especially down the stretch. They you know, that that Green Bay Packers yeah. game. They beat the Packers thirty eight to eight. You know, late December and you know different circumstances here in the playoffs now. Things things get different, but. You know, they they almost barely squeaked by the Packers there. And, you know, I, I'm not feeling so hot about this this Pack, or this Cardinals team all of a sudden. And, and on, on the opposite end, I think the Panthers are looking great as just ever. So I have to lead, lean towards Carolina there. Yeah, I, I think this Panthers team, and, and Field Yates alluded to it too, I think they're the most underrated 15-1 team in the history of football. Which is funny. It's unbelievable. All year long, no one has talked about this team. And, and now you're seeing it where the, these guys, you're hearing these stories, and these are my favorite 
favorite stories when they come out of locker rooms like during the play. This stuff always gets me is is the stories about, you know, uh, why we don't want the national media here now. They haven't been here all year. You know, they, what, you didn't believe in us then. Why are you going to believe in us now? Like all that, nobody believes in us, us against the world. I, I love that as a motivational tool. I think that is clearly what's happening in Carolina. I think Rivera is doing an, an awesome job of, of insulating his guys in that locker room and, and us against the world type thing. I, I think that plays a big role, man. I, I think they love that no one believes in them and they're going to go out and just, you know, show show the world how good they are. And you saw that in the first half against Seattle. Yeah, it was 31 crazy. 31 nothing against a good football team and then yeah. obviously foot off the pedal. But their their high-end level of play is is pretty freaking good. They almost feel like a team of destiny to me, James. I really look at that team and I'm like, man, I think I think they just have it. Yeah. I think, you know, I, we we're talking about that. It doesn't it's not quantifiable or anything. There's no stats behind that. I just feel something about that team that makes me say, you know, man, this is a really good team and I I think they could go all the way and win it. And you know who else we felt about that way like the 2004 Eagles because oh. that was that team that that you just knew how good that team was, and, and you knew that that was the team that was going to finally get over that hurdle and get to the Super Bowl. Uh, actually, 11 years ago yesterday, I believe it was, was uh, the, when they beat the Falcons uh, to go to the Super Bowl. And, and in that vein, thinking about that team and, and kind of how it relates to, to now, how far away is this team from being in these games, from playing today? And, and also, what do they need to do to get there? I really, I'm intrigued by this. I want to, I want to see kind of how far. Because in my eyes, just uh, generally, I look at this team as I think they're further away than than Field did. Field seemed to have more of a positive take. There's a lot of talent on this team. If they can, you know, settle the culture, settle the quarterback position, they could theoretically compete right away. And I suppose with the division, there, there's a lack of competition. It's believable. Personally, I feel like there are still a lot of holes on this team, and and it's not a quick fix. I think there's more that needs to be done before they're going to be even in the discussion for for thinking about playing on a day like today. It's hard to say for sure, you know, because you look at how change happens in the NFL, and it happens so much faster than you think it would. Look at this Panthers team, James. They were what three eight and one or something. Yeah, and all of a sudden now they're on this huge streak, and they're amazing. I mean. Things like this can turn around quick, but obviously that Panthers team has a key element. They have a franchise quarterback. (laughs) They also have a strong defense, which doesn't hurt, and they have a good coach. So things can change quickly. I don't think you can rule that out, but you know it it all starts with that quarterback. And it also starts with another thing that the Panthers probably don't get enough credit for, strong front office. They make good personnel moves. That's a good point. The Eagles, you know, that's a big question mark right now. Yeah, and just also organizational, you know, structure. They have a lot of of stability there. You know, Gettleman's been there a long time. They've they've got Rivera's been there a while. They believed in Rivera when he struggled at first. He had a, a big time losing record through his first three years there, but yet they believed in it. They stuck with it, and thus they've built something that looks like it really could last. So uh, it's I think it's a great philosophy, and it's what you'd hope to see happen here. Uh, I just think they're a little further away from that. Uh, let's see what the fans have to think. Let's go to Charles in the Northeast. Charles, how you doing? You're on the Fanatic. Hey, James. Brandon, great show, guys. Thanks, Let me Charles. Say this, James. I don't think they're as far away, but I'll get into that in a second. Let me say this real quick. Super, um, today, Championship Sunday, I got New England over Denver. I never go against Brady and Belichick in these games. I think Manning can't throw the ball beyond 20 yards. Unless they turn the ball over, New England wins. And like you guys have been saying, everybody's gone against Carolina all year. 
I've done it. I'm not doing it again. So Arizona didn't impress me last week. They will win that game. It'll be Carolina and New England in Super Bowl 50. Now, Chip Kelly, Sam Bradford. I'm going to agree with Lenny from Pittman for once, okay? Whoa, Kelly, breaking news there. Chip Kelly will be in college in two or three years. The fact is, I don't care about Chip Kelly anymore, guys, but the fact is I do care in this respect. He hurt my football team. I hope he loses every game by 100 points. From now on, if that makes me a Chip hater, that's what I am, okay? Wow. I, I, I am. I'm Charles, you've done a complete 180. I, I turned on Chip. I'm done with Chip. Chip... Go, go have a smoothie yourself, okay? Now, as for Sam Bradford, um, I don't think they're far away, James. The fact is, if you've got a quarterback, I think the core of this team is good. If you've got a quarterback, you can win. I think Sam Bradford's entering his prime. To me, I'm doing a long-term deal with him. If not, I'm franchising him. I think the Eagles are going to feel the same way. The way um, Peterson talked about him in his press conference, to me, he wants this guy. I think this guy will be here. I don't think he ever hits free agency because – if you don't have a quarterback in this league, like you said, look at the championship games. Brady, Manning, Newton, Palmer. You don't have a quarterback, you can't win. We've got a quarterback. I don't want to hear about drafting a quarterback. I don't want to hear about RG3. None of that. No, Charles, and, and thank you for the call. It's a good call. I understand what you're saying. I don't have the same sort of positivity that they will re-sign Bradford. I think when you kind of look at the tea leaves and look at what's coming out, that it certainly seems, and again, you always have to take this information with a grain of salt, right? You know, whether it's an agent putting it out there, whether it's a front office putting it out there, you have to think, where is this information coming from? But it does seem like information is leaking out that, that Bradford's going to test the market, that Bradford doesn't necessarily love Philadelphia, all this kind of stuff coming out. Where, where is your head at with the latest with the Bradford discussions? And, and if you had to hypothesize, do you think Bradford is the starting quarterback for the Eagles next season? No. <laughs> I don't, because you look at this market, James, and I wrote a post on this about on Bleeding Green Nation on Friday morning that I think there's up to at least maybe six teams in the mix for him. If he somehow gets to the open market, you're looking at like the Texans, the 49ers. I think the 49ers is the obvious one. Mm-hmm. Chip Kelly even brought this up. He brought, even brought, he praised Sam Bradford yeah, defended him, during really. his intro press conference. So, I mean, I, I, before the season was over, he said, we're not, we didn't bring in Sam just to have him for one year. I think he really liked Sam Bradford and I think he, he might make a strong run at him. So you look at that even in, Again, uh, the Jets, maybe the Broncos, depending on what happens there, they're going to have to make a decision at quarterback. Brock's going to be a free agent. Peyton Manning might retire. We'll see what happens there. There's teams out there that need quarterbacks. Maybe he, maybe the Rams would even want him back. Oh, Are they really Can going to Los Angeles with Case Keenum yeah. as their starter and Nick Foles over there? So, I mean, there's going to be teams there. It's not going to be cheap to re-sign this guy because, you know, you can look at the market and say, all right, well, Sam Brack or the, the, the quarterback contracts and say, all right, well, Sam Bradford deserves this much. It doesn't matter how much he deserves. You look at this market and it's going to be a high-priced market. It's going to be a competitive market. It's not often that guys like him get to free agency uh, and and teams have the chance to sign him. So I think, you know, if he gets there, which I don't think the Eagles will want him to because unless they just, they're really just okay with letting him walk because he's not going to come back if he gets to that open market. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, look, there are so many better situations, at least for right now, for this guy. You know, if I were him, I'd rather be the quarterback of the Broncos. I'd rather be the quarterback of the Texans. You know, there are these teams that are, are competing right now, and, and we're talking. And close to home. And, yeah, exactly, close to Oklahoma, close to, you know, a little bit less intense as a city, which it seems like this guy wants. You know, it does. It seems like he's not an intense guy. He's not, you know, to, to use 
is the term. There, he doesn't seem like a Philly guy. Are you forgetting about the shower speech, James? Ah, it's true. Yes, we well, get the guy in the shower, and he is he is a Philly leader, of course. <laughs> but but it does seem like you know there has not been a lot of warmth from the Bradford Bradford camp towards Philadelphia, at least from what we've seen, and. I just I would be very surprised if they're committing to this guy long term, especially when, you know, they were talked about Shermer. You know, he's not back to sign with the Vikings. We, we know. Uh, so I think that all that talk, all that kind of, you know, the Pearson press conference, I think it's just kind of putting stuff out there. I don't think that it's the team being very committed to this guy as the quarterback of the future. Yeah. And Peterson did praise him a little bit more than I expected. Really. I didn't think he would do go that far, but it's not like he said, Sam is our guy. This is the guy. This is our franchise quarterback. He did not say that. And it, Jeffrey Lurie was even more evasive. Well, Jeffrey went the other way. Yeah. He, he very much did not give a firm answer at all about him when, when asked about Sam Bradford. And if you think that's meaningless, okay, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the most meaningful thing. But, you know, look how Jeffrey Lurie talked about Nick Foles last offseason before, you know, he had multiple chances to kind of commit to Nick Foles there, and he he didn't. He really kept it kind of wide open. I think, you know, I said this last week when I called in. I said, you know, new coaches or head coaches have their guys, the guy they want at quarterback. I don't really know if... Sam Bradford is a, a quote-unquote Doug Peterson person. <laughs> oh, how many times are we going to have to do the Doug Peterson people thing? It's uh, I'm with you. I, I don't think that he's the guy that they want. I think we're going to hear the name Chase Daniel quite a bit over the next few Get months. Get excited. Chase Daniel. I, I said before, my favorite and only thing that I really like about Chase Daniel is that he has two first names. I, I think that's such a win. But outside of that, I look, I think if you bring Daniel as a stopgap, if, if the plan is we are going to draft someone, we are going to build the future, yes, please. I love that. I, I'm all for that. I just, you know, I, I think they need to have a very clear plan when it comes to the quarterback position about getting a franchise guy. And I know that's a cliche. I know that's a, you know, the term you hear, we got Herm Edwards, a franchise quarterback and you know, all that kind of stuff. We hear all that stuff all the time, but it's real. Like we just said it. You look at these three teams or four, three of the four teams that are going to the Super Bowl, number one overall picks. The best way to get a quarterback for the long term for your franchise is to draft one high in the draft and develop him and, develop and, him. and build him. And now obviously Carson Palmer, you know, not didn't grow up with the Cardinals, but sure. still grew up with a, a very good system in Cincinnati for a long time. He was brought along, did a lot of good things there. And the Eagles probably aren't going to have an option to sign a, a guy like Carson Palmer in free agency. But it, that's, that's really the key. And that's what I think just aesthetically, like that people want and that it would just feel good. You know, like part of what felt so good about the Andy Reid era was that, you know, he brought Donovan in and they grew together. Yeah, this is yeah. a chance to do that now with Doug Peterson, you know, bring in his guy, let him grow, bring in your own Doug Peterson yeah. in Chase Daniel, let him, you know, uh, be the placeholder for a little bit. I don't really think this is an opportunity where it almost makes sense to bring back Sam Bradford, especially such a high number because we're, we, we're this now we're in a circle here about talking about how close is this team to being good and getting back to an NFC champion, championship. I, I don't think if you're spending twenty million dollars a year on Sam Bradford that you know you're looking at this as something you know 
like we're going to have patience. I think you're kind of rushing it, and I, I don't think that's the right call. Yeah, I 100% agree there. I am far more worried about the quarterback position in 2017, 2018, 2019 than I am this upcoming season. If it's Chase Daniel, if it's Thad Lewis, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. I like ultimately I you know, I don't I'm I don't I want them to win. I can never root against a team, but if if they had a down year and got a really high draft pick and had a chance to get a Deshaun Watson or or some sort of franchise type quarterback, I wouldn't be that upset. I think because for the long run, I think that's a bigger deal. And like you said, the Carson Palmer is so the, the exception to the rule. It's never that guy who moves around from other teams and then ends up flourishing eventually and, and with, with the right coach. And the he right was a situation. top pick. Like and he was the said. number one overall pick. Exactly. And, and if he hadn't have, have tore his knee up, who knows what would have happened, obviously. But I just think that it's – I don't think Bradford's that guy. I don't think he's worth that kind of money. And I don't think that this team should be focusing on competing in 2016 as much as looking at down the road and not trying to react to the bad year and instead try and build something like we talked about. Chris in Williamstown, you're on The Fanatic. Chris, what's going on? Yo, James. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Yep. Good. Brian, Brandon, same thing. Brandon, sorry, sorry, Brandon. All right. <laughs> How you doing, I'm, Chris? I'm kind of just lost in that Charles call because you know, James, me and Charles, we don't exactly get along. Yeah, you can say that. There you go. Really paying attention to what Charles was saying. And you know what? I have to be honest. I actually agree with a little bit of what Whoa. Charles was saying. We got Charles, Lenny, and Chris all agreeing today. This is epic. I, I, I really honestly think that Bradford will be back, and I, I don't like the idea because you're allocating too much money to a quarterback. And, you know, what? let's look at this from a broader perspective real quick. You've got three guys on this roster who are making buku bucks, DeMarco Murray, Byron Maxwell, and Sam Bradford. Now you see why, you know, you've got to actually get lucky to find a player, get him on a rookie deal, and hope, you know, that – you can put a team together in that time span to try and make something happen because the further you get into a guy's career, the more money he makes, the less likely you are to be able to bring back guys like Benny Curry. And I don't think Cox is going anywhere. I think he, you know, they're going to try hard to bring him in, keep him here no matter what. But let me ask a question here that you guys kind of brought to my attention. You guys were mentioning about Jim Schwartz and the uh, head coaching experience he had. How did that work for him exactly? So you want him to be the guy that kind of comes in here and helps Doug Peterson well, make Chris, his decisions, and then what? Chris, kind of decisions? yeah, I, I, I get no, I get what you're saying, and I think that's a, a fair point. His coaching experience, his tenure, did not go so well, but uh, I think that there are guys who are better coordinators than head coaches, and and their skill set is more fits that more fits that focusing on the defense, focusing on specific things, as opposed to being in charge of the whole organization. Yeah. Um, the last thing I say, you know, walking out the door, here, um, you know, look, I mean, you, you kind of hit on it, James, with, with Deshaun Watson next year. Look, you know what? You need to sit there and try to figure out how am I going to fill as many holes as possible with as little money as I can to these players as possible. Because, look, you got too many holes you need to fill. Wide receiver. I mean, honestly, if you bring back Sam Bradford, who's he throwing the ball to? So you you can't allocate all that money to that guy and be able to go fill other spots because the salary cap. No, I agree. That's a good point. Uh, Thanks for the call, Chris. Thank you for the call. Uh, I think that's a great point when it comes to free agency and things like that. You know, we've seen this team spend big. That's not the approach this team needs right now. They can They cannot go into free agency spending all this money. You want to go in and you want to get guys like last year, like I said, 
uh, Walter Thurman was like the perfect free agent kind of signing right. because he's a cheap guy. He has some upside. You know, you see what happens there. You give him a chance to start, things like that. You're looking for those guys. They kind of did that in 2013 a little. They brought in kind of a mix of different yeah, guys. James and, Casey right, and a few different of those guys. Signs, sure. And obviously not all of them worked out. You know, Fletcher, Bradley Fletcher wasn't good. Right. Kerry but Williams Connor Barwin, there gotta, are some good yeah, ones there. So you hit on some of those guys. You bring in cheaper guys. You're not overpaying them a ton. I think that's the kind of you know model you're looking for moving forward. Yeah, I think that's crucial. I, I think that this team has to build through the draft. They have to make good draft picks. They have to, to build without these huge free agent purchases, without feeling the need to force a signing because of a, a need in a position. Byron Maxwell, a nice example, and, and I'm not down on Maxwell for the rest of his time as an Eagle. Uh, who knows? Jim Schwartz. Maybe Jim Schwartz knows how to use him better. But I, I do think that the idea of going out and spending $60 million to sign some guy is, is not the right process that this team needs to have moving forward no it's too risky and and i think one of the things we can give howie roseman credit for if he's the one making these decisions is you know besides the whole dream team thing which kind of jeffrey larry absolved him of i i think howie you know we, we always say he does a good job of managing the cap and i think there's truth to that you know i i don't think he's going to be the guy who goes out now and like chip was and spend all of this money on these big name players. I think they're going to be a little bit more conservative, which is a good approach for where this team is. And I think for as many questions that we do have about Howie Roseman, and they're fair questions. Yeah. There are a lot of question marks with him. I think it's very troubling at times that he's still back in power. But I do think, you know, you kind of look at the contract thing and you're like, all right, well, I think I think the Eagles will be okay there with him. Yeah, and, and look, there are things that Howie does well. Uh, you just mentioned right. that. In addition, he, he has always been good at, at understanding value, you know, with trades. And he's Darren good at that. Sproles. Perfect example. That was a great trade. They got him for a fifth-round draft Bryce pick. Bryce Brown. Bryce Brown. Fourth round that pick. turned into multiple picks and over and over. It's like the Bryce Brown pick. We're still talking about it years later. Uh, so I, I, I think that he does understand value, and there are some some positives to what he does but ultimately i think you need somebody in here who is a legitimate nfl personnel man a football guy a James. football guy but but really though i you know and it doesn't have to be a, a that whole football guy thing but someone who understands uh, being a personnel guy in the league someone who's done it someone who has a track record and what worries me is we had field yates on a little bit ago and field said hey listen you know uh, yeah they're probably gonna hire somebody but at this point in the NFL offseason, there aren't that many top guys out there. Things are set, he said. He said, you know, most front offices, most teams have their everything set and ready to go. So to find someone who has that kind of those kind of credentials and that type of ability is is not an easy thing to do at this point in the offseason. And why are they going to come here if they might have to answer to how exactly. you know what I mean? Like there there's there's good guys out there. Maybe like a lot of people say Kansas City Chiefs uh, executive Chris Ballard. But like, why is he going to come here when he can probably just get a general, man- a full blown, one hundred percent control general, real general manager position, maybe in a couple of years? Yeah, and we've seen this issue. We've heard again, going back to a lot of people talk about this, a lot of reputable sources about the issues that Howie has had within his scouting department, dealing with other people, dealing with the people below him, above him. He's not the best at that. And isn't that <laughs> funny, James? We talk about how Chip Kelly wasn't good with relationships. Yeah. I mean, Howie Roseman isn't either, and he's still here. Yeah, and he's still here, and I think that's a fascinating thing to, to kind of dig into. The, the Obviously, the idea that someone could get fired from a job and then 15 games later be put back with more power. It, it is... It is absolutely 
unbelievable to me. I haven't seen anything like that where a guy was taken out of that type of power, that position, and then just given back it, just immediately with no other reason than, than the guy who was put in the position did a bad job. It, it's, it really is mesmerizing stuff. And, and so, so what do you think, uh, you know, to 610-632-0975, where do you stand on this Eagles team? Where do you stand on, on their – is it a quick fix? Is this something where this team could be competing again – to get to play on Championship Sunday in the near future, or is this something that's going to take longer, that's a longer fix, or, or that we're not even – is it not even going to be in the Doug Peterson era? Uh, you know, how do you feel about this team right now? Where do you stand? 610-632-0975. Uh, we've got John Barchard coming up at 10 o'clock. He's going to join us to, to chime in with his, uh, his lovely thoughts. We all love what John has to say. And then at 11 o'clock, Michael Gelkin. Chargers beat reporter give us the inside scoop on Frank Reich, who uh, we really don't know a ton about outside of uh, him being a backup quarterback in the league for a while and, and OC a little bit, but not sure what he did, what he didn't do. Michael Galkin, a really good reporter, will give us the lowdown on that. And then, of course, our fearless NFL picks, the Ring the Bell segment, 1145. All right, we'll be right back. Quick, short break. Brandon Lee Gowton, James Seltzer. It's BGN Radio on 97.5 The Fanatic. Well, I hope everyone out there is enjoying uh, this latest episode of BGN Radio that was on 97.5 The Fanatic this morning, Sunday, January 24th. And uh, I, we're actually going to skip ahead to that Michael Gelkin interview because it's 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 a great insight into Frank Reich and uh, what he was and was not responsible for. We also kind of asked if... He was kind of the scapegoat out there, and he gave some gave some great answers as far as the personnel, what they like to run, and we'll get that to us in, in just a minute here. What I, I I just want to talk to everybody again about Clip It and just realize how awesome this really is. I know uh, a lot of you probably won't listen to this on Sunday, but it is, again, championship weekend here. I'm going to be using it a lot, especially for those, those big plays that you know are probably coming against Carolina and Arizona and uh, you know the big matchup between Denver and the Patriots here, but... You know, all all throughout college basketball season, throughout the NBA season, if you're a reality TV junkie, if, if someone says something stupid on the news and you're there and you want to share it with everybody, you can get a full 30-second HD clip by just using the Clip It app. And please check them out on Twitter, Clip It TV, at Clip It TV or ClipItTV.com. Obviously, for more information or just simply go search them in the App Store. It's also available for the Android it's, an, it's one of the best apps that is out there. Like I keep saying, there's no more holding up the phone to the computer screen or the TV screen or whatever. You know, it, it eliminates the vining process, which makes, for me, makes it a lot easier to go and search and find. It's just like you're watching live TV in the palm of your hand. You go back, you make the clip. It has everything backloaded for you. So if there was something two hours ago that you were like, oh, yeah, what was that play? It has it there for you. Check them out. Again, it's Clip It at Clip It TV, ClipItTV.com, one of the best apps that is out there. All right, let's get on with the show. It's more with James Eltzer and Brandon Lee Gowton as it was aired on 97.5 The Fanatic. It's BGN Radio, 97.5 The Fanatic. Well, Jackson 5, it takes everything in my soul to not sing right here, but I... I promised my wife I would never sing on the air again. Uh, it's Brandon Lee Gowton, James Seltzer coming to you live in the Xfinity studio only from Comcast. And, and as we've teased uh, for the last hour, 
Uh, we're going to get the inside scoop right now. Uh, uh, get a little insight on Frank Reich, our new offensive coordinator here in Philadelphia. We are going to head out to San Diego, San Diego, uh, and talk to San Diego Chargers beat writer for the San Diego Union Tribune. You can follow him on Twitter at UT Gelkin. That's G-E-H-L-K-E-N. Michael Gelkin. Michael, how are you? Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? We are good. We are good, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we want to get into Frank Reich. We Jim Schwartz uh, obviously brought in here as the defensive coordinator. Uh, uh, know a lot about him. There's a lot of, you know, everyone knows Jim Schwartz, former head coach, aggressive, the defense. But uh, we don't know as much about Frank Reich. Uh, we know, obviously, the greatest comeback in football history. But outside of that, uh, what can we expect with Frank Reich, both the person, person and the coach coming in here? Well, I'll speak to the person first. I know as a beat writer for the Chargers, someone who covers this team on a day-to-day basis and part of the NFL access schedule as a beat writer is that you get to speak to the coordinator once a week. You're guaranteed that once a week interview. And for me, it was always a highlight to speak to Frank Reich. He's a very smart guy, very well-spoken during his press conferences or even to the side. He's just a wealth of knowledge. So, I'm sure the media over there will really enjoy that time of the week where they get to speak to Frank because he, he, he can fill up your notebook. You know, he's, he's, he's a great guy to talk to. Uh, as for the coach, yeah, he did a lot of positive things here with the Chargers. Often we talk about the positive things that he was able to do in two seasons as primary play caller and offensive coordinator. Those positive things happened in the passing game. Philip Rivers, in 2014, had a stretch where he had five straight games of a 120 rating or more. And that is, was a first in NFL history where a quarterback had five straight games with a 120 rating. And last year, you know, the Chargers passing offense you know, at the midway point of the year, Phillip Rivers was leading the league in passing yardage and also was doing it with a 69.8, I believe, completion percentage. So a very efficient attack and you give Reich a lot of credit. Now, on the same side, during those two seasons as play caller, obviously there's a reason why Reich is no longer here. And I believe the run game, uh, the Chargers are looking for more balance in that area. They averaged 3.5 yards per carry this past season. That was dead last in the NFL after averaging 3.4 yards per carry, second last in the NFL in his first year as offensive coordinator. So, uh, just like the passing game, uh, it's the same with the run game. Player personnel plays a large factor in it. And I think that's what you have to talk about anytime you're discussing a coach. Is It's not just about who the coach is. It's about the players with whom he has to work. And a fine example of that, first eight games of this past season, Chargers had the number, NFL's number one offense. The final eight games, they had the number 24 offense, and that coincides with the health of Keenan Allen. He was injured. In week nine, or pardon me, week eight, and the Chargers' offense was not the same because they couldn't compensate for that lack of run game with that short control passing game with Keenan Allen. We're talking to Michael Gelkin, uh, Chargers beat reporter. Uh, Michael, you just kind of brought up the idea that, that Reich is obviously no longer in San Diego for a reason and that some of that might be personnel, obviously not necessarily the best, uh, especially with the injuries they had along the O-line, losing a ton of guys along the uh, over the course of the season and, and the injuries throughout the offense with Allen, you said. But how much would you say of Reich's firing out there 
was him being sort of a scapegoat and them deciding to keep Mike McCoy around for a, another year and give him that next shot, but yet having to, to have a sacrificial lamb there? Uh, we've heard some rumblings of that from some of the national guys who've come on this station. Was that your impression as well, or, or do you think that Reich deserved to get canned, essentially? Well, it'd be hard for me to say the coach deserves to get fired just as a beat writer. I, I can't really make that opinion, but sure. I would say it wasn't a surprise, and I don't think scapegoating was a reason. You just kind of got the sense that after two years of not being able to get a run game, uh, if the Chargers indeed kept Mike McCoy as head coach, even if you know, he's a guy who's involved in, in, in offensive game playing, you don't want to diminish Mike McCoy's role in the offense, but you just got a, a real sense that Frank Reich and other coaches on the offensive staff were going to be let go. And that's exactly what happened. Frank Reich was let go. The offensive line coaches were let go. The tight end coach was let go. The wide receivers coach. So it, it was whole sweeping changes. And it wasn't just Frank Reich, but I think there was not escape. I think there was more to it than that. I think there was more substance. If you watch the team on a day to day basis where you, you expected it to happen the way it happened. And I don't think it was because of scapegoating. I just think it was clear that some changes needed to be made, some shakeups need to happen. Charge's best run these past two seasons has been shotgun draws. And they haven't been built to run, you know, power football. You know, we're going to run the ball down your throat. The whole stadium knows we're going to run it, but we're going to run it anyways. And darn it, we're going to get four yards. You know, they weren't built that way. And I think part of that is Frank Reich's defense. But they also just couldn't find a way to, to get things going. Like Melvin Gordon, their first-round pick, looked I mean, so uncomfortable in this offense just because he wasn't accustomed at Wisconsin to running the ball at a shotgun. It was totally different in terms of a running back division when you're used to being in, say, I formation, and now you're in the shotgun. It, it just, it's totally different in terms of your, your vision, your, your footwork. I mean, and it, ultimately – it led to Melvin Gordon's confidence dropping over the course of the season. Part of that was his six fumbles, his two benchings, and never scoring a touchdown, and always looking at the stats and seeing how well Todd Gurley, the other first-round pick, was doing. But I think there was something because of the scheme, and the Chargers knew Ken Wisenhunt was available. They knew in November he'd be available. And I, I think the replacement of from Reich to Ken Wisenhunt probably was the most predictable element to what still figures to be a pretty wild Chargers offseason. Uh, Michael, one of the big things with uh, Frank Ring coming to Philly is that you know he's not going to be calling the plays so much here. Doug Peterson already confirmed that he's going to be handling the play calling duties. How much do you think you know Reich fits in here now in Philly in a, in a role where he's he's not calling the plays? Do you think he's better suited in a role where he's kind of just advising Doug Peterson as opposed to him being in charge? I think that does make sense. It's so hard to say what makes a competent, effective play caller. I know Frank Wright hadn't done it on a full-time basis before becoming offensive coordinator in, in, two, in two two years ago. And you look at those two years, you know, there's, there was a lot of pluses and there were a lot of negatives. So it's hard to say, you know, Frank Wright was a, a poor play caller for the Chargers. You know, I, I can't say that. But, yeah, I, I do get that. I, mean, I think Mike McCoy was going to call plays I think he missed calling plays during the two seasons when Reich was play caller. I don't think he missed it as much when Ken Wisenhunt was at the reins in that first season when McCoy was head coach in 2013. So I get it. Um, you know, we'll see if or when Frank Reich calls plays in this league again. I imagine it would only be a matter of time, but 
having Frank Reich in a room, I think this is, you know, especially for that quarterback, having Frank Reich in a room who's worked with Peyton Manning, worked with Philip Rivers, he gets it. Uh, I think that'll be a real help to this passing game. And the more guys you have in a room who understand how to run an NFL offense, the better. And if that means not calling plays, I'm sure Frank will be extremely involved over the course of a week in terms of game planning for that role to assist his head coach. Uh, Michael, uh, I wanted to touch base on one thing you mentioned a little bit ago, the idea of Melvin Gordon not feeling comfortable in that offense and, and running out of shotgun. Uh, we had a lot of that here with, with DeMarco Murray coming here and Chip Kelly and, and a lot of that he doesn't feel comfortable running out of shotgun and, and this and that. Uh, how married is Reich to that, that part of his offense? And is that something that's more of a Mike McCoy thing, more of a Reich thing? Or in terms of offensive philosophy, is it likely that Reich is going to be the kind of offensive coordinator who wants a lot of shotgun sets, a lot of that type of stuff? Or is he kind of more very and that was more of a Mike McCoy thing? Well, I'm sure he's variable to a certain degree, and I know that he would have loved to run at times a more traditional power offense in terms of running the football than he was a- felt able to here in San Diego, simply because, again, they weren't built that way. The offensive line was a mess. The tight ends weren't really great blockers. I mean, the list goes on and on. They didn't have a true fullback. That being said, uh, does, Silver, or does, does Frank Reich love the shotgun? Yeah, he does. There's no doubt about it. You know, he, he, he sees the value in it. You know, it gives the quarterback, it puts the football in his hands with him in that set position, evaluating the field earlier than your traditional, you know, three, three step, five step, five, five step, seven drop, you know, type of deal with the quarterback behind center. You know, he, he, he believes the quarterback has a shotgun. He has more time to, to, to scan things. And there's a lot of positives that come from that. He also is a, a real proponent in the no huddle, which I, I know is not something that is a foreign concept in Philadelphia where the tempo was very high at times too high under Chip Kelly, but he's smart. He's not going to try to win the race every time he understands, you know, sometimes during a game, it makes sense to run no huddle. And there's other instances in the game where you need to pull the reins back a little bit. So he manages that and he, he likens it to a boxing match where sometimes as an offensive coordinator, you want to throw a flurry. You want to be really up tempo and really attack that opposing defense. There's other times where you're going to want to take it back a little bit. Maybe, you know, just manage the fight a little bit more and, and know when, you know, what sometimes your best bet as a puncher is knowing when not to swing. So he understands that. Um, but no huddle, shotgun, those are all core concepts of who Frank Reich was in San Diego, but I'm sure uh, he wouldn't mind having a quarterback behind center and just being able to pound out the football. And Obviously, he's got the running backs to do so. Uh, Michael Gelkin of the uh, San Diego Union-Tribune. Follow him on Twitter at UT Gelkin. Uh, last one before we let you go, Michael, just to uh, segue over. I, I, I've got a San Diego beat writer on the phone. I'd be remiss if I did not uh, mention the whole L.A. thing and, and how that went down. Uh, as someone who covers the team on an everyday basis, uh, are the Chargers going to be in San Diego much longer? Yeah, you know, you're talking to a San Diego beat writer who doesn't know how long, how much longer he's going to be in San Diego. Yeah, exactly. I, I love to tell you. I, I said it to my friends. I said it to my family. I said it to my Uber driver. People <laughs> want to know where the Chargers are going to be this season. And, and, and the truth is, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to find out maybe sometime this week. Wow. That announcement come. I think it, it's it's got to come sooner rather than later. Uh, in terms of the Chargers needing to know where they're going to be and needing to, you know, tickets and, and everything that goes into getting ready for a, a season, you don't want to wait until that March 23rd deadline 
Uh, you want to figure this out sooner rather than later. So I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'll tell you this. I have an apartment here in San Diego. I haven't renewed the lease, but then again, I haven't started looking for apartments in Los Angeles wow. either. Uh, we'll, we'll see how this mm. whole thing yeah. transpires. Well, Michael Galkin, we appreciate it. Again, follow him on Twitter at UT Galkin. Uh, Michael, uh, beat reporter for the, uh, as of now, San Diego Chargers, potentially LA Chargers. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, uh, Michael, we really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for coming on. Pleasure. Take care, guys. All right. There he was, Michael Galkin, again, of the uh, San Diego Union Tribune, joining us on the Comcast Business Hotline. Uh, some interesting stuff there uh, yeah. about Reich. Uh, I think the probably the thing that jumped out the biggest was talking about the shotgun yeah. and uh, the the idea that Melvin oh, no. Gordon goes there and feels uncomfortable. He doesn't like running out of the shotgun. I haven't heard that before. Hmm. Um, I, I think that's a uh, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't think that I, I think that the impression we got there and look, I th- it's going to be Doug Peterson's offense. Okay, right. it's not going to be Frank Reich's offense, so that that matters, but. Kind of an interesting thing to hear when you bring the guy on that that, that issue that we've talked about so much over the last couple of years, whether it was Shady or DeMarco, mm. is something that they've had other places and, and specifically with this guy. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. And it's kind of funny because you actually look at the stats, you look at the splits for DeMarco Murray. He actually did have more success yep. running out of the shotgun. I know, so it's crazy. For as much as he might not like it. I mean, everyone points to that play he had in the Giants game where he he, he lined up under center in Week 17, and then he he got the touchdown. Fifty-four of yards yeah. in the house, oh, brother. But um, <laughs> uh, what what a game. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think they just need better talent running back. I really do. I think it's that's part of it. part of it is is that simple. I think it is because I mean, again, Demarco looked cooked. Ryan Matthews can't stay healthy. Darren yep. Sproles isn't a full-time player. No, I liked Kenyon and Barner, but you know, but yeah, but you issues. liked him because those guys look terrible. Exactly, yeah. that's that's exactly part of it too. That's a great point. I mean, they they need more talent at running back. I don't think this is the year they have to go out and necessarily spend a high pick or something. Although, man, Ezekiel Elliott. Oh God, I love that kid. Would look great. Oh, he is such a good like. He's so good. His vision, his explosive, his ability to cut on a dime. I'm so. Impressed. But I'm not saying they have to draft yeah. running back in the first. But time. but but having said that. I think that this team needs talent, period. And yeah, I, if, on offense if, especially. If yeah. he's the best guy on the board significantly, yeah. I take him. Yeah. I don't care that he's a running back. I'm not no. I'm not going to force an offensive lineman. That's what happened with Marcus Smith. You know, you don't want to force a guy right. into a spot based on a need or based on a, a dearth of talent at that spot in a draft. You don't, ba- you don't draft like that. If there's a special player, go get him. Take the best guy there. I don't care what position he plays. Ezekiel Elliott is a special player, and yep. he should be a first-round pick. And that's rare for running backs these days yeah he is like todd Gurley, special probably not quite that good in my opinion at least but he's he's worth going in the first round he's a fantastic player absolutely so it is going to be interesting to see that way that kind of all shakes out but i'm with you i think running back is a bigger need for this team than sneaky need yeah sneaky need because i think demarco looked terrible uh, he oh, looked no question. nothing like the same guy he was in Dallas, and, and I think that that's a, a direct response or, or uh, symptom of that year he had before. I think that you look at the history of this league, look at how many players have had that many carries, that many touches in a, in that short a period of time in one season. 
Eric Dickerson's the only one who ever recovered. I mean, you know, none of these guys, or at least after, it takes a couple years for them to get at close to back to anything what they used to be. It's it's a death knell for running backs to have that type of workload in a season. And the good news, James, is that you don't necessarily need to invest that high resources into the running back position. You can find guys undrafted free agency. You can find, you know, look at Chris Johnson. He was having sure. success with the Cardinals after being on the market until like... Yeah. Or how about David Johnson? Was what, a third, fourth round exactly. pick as well? There's, there's guys you can find in there you don't necessarily it's not this isn't like quarterback and you have to spend a first round pick or something but you know it is a position that you got to keep an eye on yeah no it's important especially if this offense is going to roll the way at least in some form of an Andy Reid type offense or or that west coast kind of offense you need a running back who can run the ball who can take the pressure off Uh, you know you're not going to get First, and especially with we don't know who's going to be quarterback. You know, if you've got Chase Daniel in here, you're not going to be throwing the ball 60 no. times a game. Or at least you hope that oh. you're not going to, right? And obviously, uh, and look, everything you hear about Doug and what he's taken from Andy Reid and, and how he's kind of a little different and he changes things and he's, you know, we, the spread game thing that we heard and all that stuff. Uh, if we can, if, if Doug can take, obviously, the good stuff from Andy and, and build on that, that, that's a great thing. That's That's the goal, but... Obviously, we just don't have enough experience with Doug to know if that's what he's going to do or, or what his uh, proclivities are when it comes to offense. Yeah, we don't. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, running backs, wide receivers. Again, just more talent needed. A big thing we haven't talked about, James, Zach Ertz. Who in Kansas City, outside of their wide receivers, is their yeah, big target? Yeah, Travis Kelsey is a Boom. monster exactly. part of that offense. Is now I don't know. I'm wondering. I think you know maybe that's something here. Maybe maybe a Doug Peterson offense features a player like Zach Ertz who needs to be featured more. Quite frankly, look how good he Zach Ertz was down the stretch. He had monster production down those four games in the final games of the season. He was great, and he was finally healthy because he came into this season after getting hurt in training camp, had the groin injury, had yep. surgery. It was even – give Zach Ertz a lot of credit for even making it to that first game of the season. He was not 100% at all, and he toughed it out, and he played. And And I think one th- positive thing maybe that we didn't talk about from the 2015 season is his blocking got a lot better. I think Zach Ertz is a lot closer to being – a complete tight end. He he hasn't taken that full leap. We've all expected him to for it feels like yeah, forever yeah, now. Yeah, we've been waiting for it. But. And, but maybe, maybe you look at what Travis Kelsey has done in Kansas City. Maybe, you know, this is an offense that can feature Zach Ertz. It's a great comp from a from a just a, a skills standpoint. I mean, they're yep. both big, strong, fast guys who are more like a wide receiver, uh, a big wide receiver than a tight end in terms of body type, in terms of the way they play the game. It's a great comp. And look, we saw, like you said, the last few weeks of the season, Zach Ertz was the best player on that offense. He was the yep. go-to guy. Would he have another thirteen catch game? And it, you know, he, he was a go-to, and he made great catches. And he is he's clearly such a talented receiver. Uh, his ability to adjust in the air. And, and make catches and run and routes. Run routes. I mean, he is an outstanding receiver, and 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 the kind of guy you should build around. The kind of guy who can be a legit, legit offensive weapon for you if you use him correctly. And a, a nice little uh, safety option for whoever the quarterback is going to be. Him and Bradford obviously had a great connection, but maybe you bring in a rookie. Maybe you bring in a Chase Daniel. You know, that's his safety guy. Boom! I can dump down to him or. Or if I need someone who you know can give me a big play, work the numbers inside of the field, there you have Zach Ertz. Yeah, I think that's interesting to look at that. And again, look at how that Chiefs offense was constructed and, and what they did well and what they didn't do well and, and try and apply it to the talent that's here. But again, we're going to see a lot of changes here. I mean, that you look at the that Chiefs roster, they got a ton of free agents, including Chase Daniel. Uh, 
he'd be crazy to not think that, that Doug Peterson is going to go after some guys he knows. So maybe Doug Peterson people, you might Doug say. Doug Peterson people, yeah. Right? Uh, you know what? You have to think that he's going to to look at all those free agents, look at that roster, and get some guys that he if likes. If he's the one calling the shots. Yes, well, exactly. But that And that's what it comes down. I mean, I think that he'll have some say in the 53, I think. Yeah. We've clearly, Every coach has influence. They have to. They're, right. it's, they're, they're the guys, you know, and, and it's... The most overused, cliched thing you know you hear it every year a million times. But but Parcells was right at least in the in the philosophy of if if you're going to cook dinner, you should buy the groceries to some you know? extent. To yep. some extent, you should have some say in that. But I, I think that they need those checks and balances. They need the ah uh, this collaborative guy, effort. Yeah, the they but they need that. It's become a, a and it's a shame because it's become a joke that that term. But in reality, that is the best way to win is to have. All smart minds working together towards a common goal and, and not infighting and backbiting and this and that. They need guys to work together. And, and, and I think the way that it's set up now is is basically rife for for more infighting and that to, to happen because there isn't that structure. And there is that Howie Roseman going out of power, back to power, out of power, this and that. I think that that, that matters. I think you need to and, – and, I've heard it over and over and over and over again on the station the last few weeks about teams like the Ravens or teams like the Steelers, these teams that have this organizational structure and, and it's carried them through coaches. It's carried them through eras and, and they have a way to just, they have processes in place to deal with these things and to make evaluations. And, and I think that's what we need to have happen here. And then if it doesn't work, you know exactly who to blame. That was one of the great parts about Chip Kelly taking over was that you knew if, it, if it failed, it was all him. So then if there's mistakes made, it's as simple as getting rid of that guy and holding that guy accountable. With the whole Howie thing it's, it's and, and all of this and the collaborative effort and everything, we still don't know who is going to be accountable. Right. It's, it's a situation where you can't fix it because you don't know what the whole problem is. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie should know what the problem is, but... From the outsider perspective, we don't know who has the final say, and we can't point to, all right, how do we fix this? Because we don't know who to credit and who to who to say, you know, look, this needs to be better. Yeah, and I think Lori made it a point of really hitting on that, and, and whether, you know, it's not like I really believe what a word the guy says right now, one mm. way or the other, my faith in him is questioned and, and all that kind of stuff, but he did make it a point to hammer the accountability thing at his press conference he's, in words yeah you gotta see actions next. that's what i mean i, I that's we need the actions yes. is where i'm going but we did he is it, it's he's aware of it i suppose you know and he's aware of the whole mclean back and forth where mclean went after him and and i know a lot of people have said that they don't like that i i loved it i i think that it you, needed to be asked i think that the fan base does want to know that and i think that jeff mclean had every right to go after him like that and and i people were like oh it's not the place it's a uh, screw that i i love that mclean went after him and i i think yeah. that that's what reporting is it's getting in there and getting in these guys' faces and saying, hey, you know, we want to know. I have a, we have a fan base. And again, I've said it multiple times, but the, the biggest thing with Lori and, and this whole thing moving forward and why he does need to have accountability, but also why he needs to have some structure. He needs to rebuild this thing because it is a public trust. This guy is in charge of five million plus people's hopes and dreams and passions. Mm. Seriously. This is this is our team in Philadelphia. We care. We live and die with this team. And Jeffrey Lurie is a it is a public trust. He is he is entrusted with our hopes and our dreams and our passion. And he has an obligation to this fan base to institute something that is going to be able to to be built into the future and be successful. Or if not, 
and if it doesn't work out, to Hold say people accountable. this is who's going to go and now we're going to move on to something else. Exactly. Uh, there needs to be that transparency and that accountability, which we have not seen over the last few years. Yep. And you hope, you pray that that's where we're headed. Uh, Brandon, I can't believe that quick time is going it feels like it's been two minutes it's been three and a half hours uh we've got our last segment coming up we're going to go commercial free from the end of the show after this uh, a quick break uh coming up at 11 40 we're going to get kyle scott on the horn uh talk a little bit about crossingbroad.com and of course john barchard on the horn as well we're going to do our final uh or at least leading up to the super bowl our final multiple game nfl pick segment we're going to ring the bell uh Man, almost done here. Uh, if you want to chime in, we, we still have uh, one more segment, a little time to take some calls. 610-632-0975, talking coaching staff, Peterson, where the team is, where you stand on this team, and and really you know, what we can do moving forward to, to build this back up again. Uh, he's Brandon Lee Gowton. I am James Seltzer. It is BGN Radio on the Fanatic. We are coming right back. Kyle Scott at, at uh, 1140 as well as John Barchard and your NFL picks. We'll be right back. It's time to talk about the games that are being played today, the games that matter, and the and the, the hope that someday in the not-too-distant future the Eagles will again be playing today on Championship Sunday. But with that in mind, we're going to get the NFL pick segment, the Ring the Bell segment, coming up very, very soon. And we have two guests for it, because usually one of them is here, and that's Mr. John Barchard on for the second time today. Johnny, how you doing, buddy? Good talk. That was good. I'm, uh, there he is, Johnny. What's going on? Ah, there we go. Andrew Salchunas is is trying to stay awake behind the glass and, and was able to make that happen there. John, uh, welcome back on. Uh, let's also bring on uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who you go to for your NFL picks, and I know that he doesn't believe it, but we do, uh, Mr. Kyle Scott from CrossingBroad.com. Kyle, how are you, bud? What's up? There it is. So we've got John on the line. We've got Kyle on the line. We're going to get to the picks in just a segment. We've, we've already heard John's take on all this. Kyle, uh, you've, you were on the station this week. You've been pretty out and open uh, uh, deriding or, or you know, not happy with the way all this went down with the hire itself. Uh, after this week, after it's all played out with a little bit of time to, to uh, reflect and with the coaching staff in place, uh, what's your take? How are you feeling about the Eagles right now? Well, I, I would say my day hasn't improved. Um, I, you know, I, at some point we have to just turn the page and say, "All right, it is what it is. Let's uh, let's see what Doug Peterson and his staff, which at, at least you have a guy in Jim Schwartz and some others with a little bit of experience. Um, you know, let's see what they can do. What, how are they going to run minicamp and the draft and training camp? I mean, that's all we can do. We can't keep mending the fact." Um, that we're not happy. I'm not happy about the hire, but um, unfortunately, and I think I told Anthony this earlier in the week, it's not like you can look back on something Doug Peterson has done before and say, oh, well, I like that. You know, let's see if he brings that here. Really, all we have that we know he was responsible for was like the end of that Patriots game. And uh, that wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just it is what it is. Like you gotta, we gotta just you know put our blindfolds on and walk forward and see what happens. Yeah, that that's kind of what we've been saying as well. Just the idea that that you can't really point to one thing with Doug Peterson and really know anything about him as a, especially as a head coach in uh, in this uh, in this league. Uh, well, what, like, what's the hallmark of a Doug Peterson offense? Ex- you don't know. All you know is that it's their strategy was to 
uh, milk the clock down 14 and try for an onside kick. That's unfortunately the hallmark of the Doug Peterson offense. Yeah, and that so, he wants to surround himself with Doug Peterson people. That's it. Yeah, that's all we yeah. got. So uh, I'm who with... are in turn Howie Roseman people. Yeah, exactly. Well, sadly true. Sadly true. But I, I wanted to get your take on this. We had Michael Gelkin of the uh, uh, Chargers beat reporter on uh, a few minutes ago and talked a little bit about Frank Reich and his offensive uh, philosophy in terms of running the football. Here's here's Michael Gelkin. I want to get your take on it. They also just couldn't find a way to, to get things going. Like Melvin Gordon, their first-round pick, looked I mean, so uncomfortable in this offense just because he wasn't accustomed at Wisconsin to running the ball at a shotgun. It was totally different in terms of a running back division when you're used to being in, say, eye formation, and now you're in the shotgun. It, it just, it's totally different in terms of your, your vision, your footwork. I mean, and it, it, ultimately – it led to Melvin Gordon's confidence dropping over the course of the season. Uh oh! Does that sound familiar, guys? Uh, Kyle, it's a little Kyle. like Murray to me. Yeah, and 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 shady before that, and we've seen that. Uh, John, we haven't gotten uh, your take here on that. When you hear that cut, you hear Reich coming in, and again, we again with the same thing with Peterson. We don't really know who's you know going to be doing everything on offense, whose scheme, all that kind of stuff. But but does that worry you at all? You hear that, John? Well, here here's the first thing, and I and I agree with you. This. Melvin Gordon stinks. Right? That was I mean, what like, I said. Yes, <laughs> agreed, so, agreed. Like, I, I I don't. I, yeah, I mean that's that is probably true. He's probably not comfortable there. The other the other term I heard him use before that cut was also. Are you ready for this? Drum roll, brrr, fullback. So I was yep. like, and so I was like, no, 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 no. But uh, maybe I, I think if you in this day and age, if you need a a fullback to open up your running game. That's a problem. I think it's either with your with the talent or, you know, the scheme or whatever. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary. Despite with Heath Evans' like love uh, for that position, uh, you know, as he keeps like preaching that. But yeah, I I, I really think that was more uh, a talent thing than it was a scheme thing, or maybe just maybe it was both. Like I think it's I think it's kind of the similar similar issues here. Uh, and I and despite all that, and I know we've said this a million times, like Demarco Murray can run out of shotgun. It's okay. Like he he can definitely do that. He was way more productive out of the shotgun than he was underneath center. It's just like you know those the the big runs. Everybody's going to hang on to that fifty four yards <laughs> touchdown to open up the game uh, against the Giants in the last game of the season. There, but it doesn't worry me too much. It worries me more that it's just like there's not. I don't know. Maybe there wasn't an adaptability there because they've they've had trouble running the ball for two years. So it's not like it's. It's not like it's it's just been not a, not a not just a one year issue, you know. So that's part of it. The offensive line is part of it. Uh, I, I think, and this is this goes back to some of the stuff you guys were saying earlier too. Is just I, you know, when you look at the holes on offensive line, it's not like they need to fill four positions. They just need they really just need one more starter. Like offensive lines get by on a lot of different things. So you know, I don't know. I'm I'm not as concerned as I am with that as you know just making making the offensive line a little better here. All right. And and look, who knows? Maybe Heath Evans could be the, the Eagles supporter out there in the national <laughs> media. How funny would that be? Uh, all right, we got we got about seven minutes left. It's time. We got to get to it. The biggest games of the year. It's time for the NFL picks. Hit me! It's time to ring the bell and play some bets. Hey, I don't want your money punching my money. Here come our NFL picks. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Ah, uh, yes, 
it is the Ring the Bell pick segment. I, I hope there are some rings here. I, I feel like we might have all the same takes on this game. We'll see about that. Uh, we got the championship games coming up. Andrew Salchunas, where are we heading first? Game one, we're going a mile high where Tom Brady and Peyton Manning will square up for the 17th time in their careers. Brady is 11-5 all time, but they are both 2-2 two two in the playoffs. But the Patriots are favored by three. Brady Manning. Kyle, where are you headed on this one? I gotta go with the Patriots, and this isn't the class. This isn't because all oh, you know Brady beats up on Manning, although maybe that's part of it. I, I, the Broncos really were barely able to get by the, the a very depleted Steelers team last week, missing their their starting wide receiver, their starting running back, and and working with the you know former shell of of Ben Roethlisberger. So I, I just don't see the Pats look predictably good. I think their injuries uh, at the end of the year were were largely maybe. I don't want to say exaggerated, but I think they were overplaying it because they looked very healthy and very good last week. I, I, I think the Patriots take this by a touchdown. All right, Johnny, what are you thinking? Yeah, I can't really go any other way with this one. I'm, uh, Kyle's right. I mean, I just I don't see if the inability of you know Ben Roethlisberger's throwing arm is going to uh, still be pretty effective against that secondary. Yeah, some of their top guys like. Uh, you had DT that was looking like a rookie. Like, he couldn't catch anything. None of the wide receivers could catch anything. It was windy. You know, Peyton's arm strength, I'm, I'm taking – I would take the Patriots if it was five. So, I'm in on the Patriots. Ring the bell. Yes! Oh, there it is! I really like this Broncos defense. I, I, I know they had some issues last week. I'm not putting too much stock into that. I'm putting a lot of stock into what I saw over the course of the season. It's a really good defense. That pass rush, I think, can get to Tom Brady. I think we saw the Philadelphia Eagles beat Tom Brady when they were hitting him early and often. I think Von Miller and Demarcus Ware will be able to get there and make things rough on him. Ring the bell again! See, I like it because I was able to ring it even though I'm really taking the consensus here by going with the other two guys. Uh, but but it, I, I just think this Patriots team is better. I have no faith in Peyton Manning in the cold in Denver. Uh, Patriots, they, just Belichick. I, I, I don't see them losing this game. There's not a lot of math, not a lot of science, not a lot of real intellectual thought behind this. I just think that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are going to win and win it by more than three. All right, let's head out to the uh, NFC Championship game. I I can't think of a better matchup than this. Andrew, what's the, what's the line here? Right now, the line is the Panthers are favored by three. Cam Newton will once again try to put the team on his back. All right, Brandon, lead us off here. Has to go. Have to go with the Panthers. Easy call because uh, they're just, they're so good, man. I mean, you look what they did against the first half Seattle last week. I know they took the foot off the gas and kind of didn't look as great in the second half, but they're they're such a good team. I think this Cardinals team has kind of looked shaky shaky here in recent weeks. I think uh, this is easily Carolina. Johnny, where are you heading on this one? Yeah, I'm not ringing the bell at all on this. I, I think it's as far as Arizona's deep passing attack may be exciting. There is no the funner team in the NFL than the Carolina Panthers from their social media to the guys that they have there. And on top of that, I think because they have so much fun, because they're taking pictures on the sidelines, people underrate this team severely. They don't like Cam Newton for whatever reason. He's had a phenomenal year. I hope they drop deuces on everybody. Go beat Tom Brady. In the Super Bowl, which I think is what's going to happen, I'm taking Carolina all day. I love that. Dropping deuces on everybody. I love that shirt, by the way, the Cam wore with the dab, him dabbing and his kid dabbing. That was great. <laughs> Kyle, where are you headed on this? Uh, are you going to join the Carolina Panthers club right now? Yeah, I think it's the Panthers-Patriots Super Bowl, but it is a good line. I mean, the three-point line at home, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a push here, if it really settles right on three. Uh, the Panthers are a really good team. 
the Cardinals have just like last year, like they're they kind of started to hit their wall definitely earlier last year, and the injury to Palmer hurt them. But like both two years in a row now, you feel like they sort of you know shot it a little bit earlier and starting to run out of gas. At the end, I thought Carson Palmer looked really really tight last week and may have been trying to get that that first playoff win off his chest. So maybe he's a little bit looser, but I don't think it's going to be like John said, as loose as the Panthers. I. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the push, but I'll take the Panthers. Oh man, I wish I could ring the bell here just for just for fun, but uh, I, I can't. I, I love this Panthers team. It's the one one thing I've gotten right all year is I've consistently backed this Panthers team, and I, I think they're really, really, really good. Uh, it's so underrated all year. We talked about it during the show. I I can't ever remember a fifteen team win just getting so little respect throughout the course of the year, and and I think those guys love that. I think that that's though nobody believes in us. I, I think that's all happening, and I agree with you guys. I think they take it down. Uh, Kyle, before we let you get out of here, what's coming up on the blog this week? Uh, any any fun new stuff going on at crossandbroad.com? Uh, well, God, I'm, I'm such a terrible marketer here. Uh, we've reached <laughs> the winter doldrums. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. Our biggest post last week was a, was a post about the upcoming snowstorm. So, uh, hey, we'll but, see. And I'll give you so credit there, Kyle. What, you... what comes to us and, and, and uh, lemonade out of stale lemons. I, I will say, I will give you some credit. As far as amateur weathermen go, Kyle might be the best out there. You do a very good job with that stuff. I, I, li- I like to fancy myself a, a low-level meteorologist. Yeah, it's been impressive. I, I've, I've, I usually go to you for weather because I, I know that you're going to get the information, get the guys you can trust, and cull it together for me. So, uh, Kyle, we appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll have you back on uh, uh, Super Bowl Sunday if possible to, to pick that game. But, but we really appreciate you coming on all year and, and uh, just being a part of this segment. It's really made it much better. And uh, obviously your Nostradamus-like picks don't hurt either. So uh, thanks, Kyle. We appreciate it. Thanks. been fun. All right, there he is, Kyle Scott of CrossingBroad.com. Johnny Barchard, before we get out of here, man, you were missed today. We'll be back with four hours next week. John, uh, what's going on on the uh, BGN Radio uh, podcast this week? Well, we're going we're to shift into major, major draft talk. So if you guys have, if you guys want to nerd it out, obviously the Senior Bowl's coming up this week. We're going to have a ton of guests on and players. The Shrine Game was this past week. Our old friend Mike Kay's going to stop by, Ben the 10, Matt Daring, Patrick Wall. We'll all be there. We're going to keep that conversation going because – Time to start warming up the uh, the you know the draft take oven uh, at BGN underscore radio. Keep the conversation going there. Oh, I love it. The draft take oven. It's going to be so good. Johnny, thanks for coming on, man. Obviously, next Sunday we will have you back on here and in your rightful chair. I hope I lived up to it for one day here. So uh, of course, thanks for great th- show, guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks, joining John. us twice, Johnny. Uh, Brandon, any any final words before we lay out of here? We got we got our theme song on here. The I just like to give a big shout out and thanks to Mike Missanelli. Yeah, he is your favorite. All of our favorites. My number one fan. Your biggest fan. And uh, coming up next, we have Jeff Mosher, stud. This guy is a radio natural can drive a show do it all alone he will be doing it alone Mike Garofalo joining him up uh, coming up in the first uh, first hour there uh, within the 12 o'clock hour so you do not want to miss that awesome awesome guest thank you one last time to Andrew Salchunas the, the man I, the whole weekend the snow warrior we really appreciate Andrew killed it uh, that'll do it we'll be back next week next Sunday check us out at BGN underscore radio on Twitter all week long stay tuned for Jeff Mosher coming up next is BGN radio on the Fanatic so I had to chew it. Taste me how to duck. Very special guy. Gosh, it went great. Everybody love me. Thank you, 97.5. Folks, we have now reached our final destination of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We realize you have a choice in podcast, and we thank you for choosing ours.